Welcome to Talk is Jericho's The Pod of Thunder and Rock and Roll. And today, Jake Hager from the Inner Circle returns to Talk is Jericho, but for the first time on his own. If you saw him on Dynamite last week and were wondering about his black eye and his bruised up face, that was thanks to his Bellator fight against Brandon Calton. Jake won, but he worked his ass off for that win in the octagon. He's going to give us a full rundown of the fight, the decision, and the training he did to get there. Jake's also talking about his time in WWE, why he loved working with John Cena, what he learned from Dutch Mantel, how he lost the world title to Rey Mysterio, and who came up with the name Jack Swagger. He'll all about the match he had with me in Vegas, uh, how he beat me for the world title that night, and how and why Jake left the WWE in 2016. He's also sharing more details about signing with AEW and joining the Inner Circle. We're talking about his No People match against John Moxley, uh, the We the People chant and why we killed it, and that ridiculous Jerigoat at this celebration for Le Champion in Chicago. Jeez, feels like it was about a year ago, which it was already. It's a great conversation with Jake. Some funny stories, but not the same kind of funny you get from the Winnipeggers every Thursday night. If you missed the live Idiot Olympics last week, you should watch it now on my Facebook page and YouTube channel. It was the biggest hit, uh, the biggest rated show in the Winnipeggers' existence over the last four months. Medals were awarded after the final event of the night, but I won't spoil it for you. Uh, I won a few a few events. New episodes of the Winnipeggers are every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. So check that out tomorrow night. But right now, Jake Hager back on Talk is Jericho. So um, we're here with Jake Hager, and we have had a long history together. We've done Talk is Jericho before with the Inner Circle, but I wanted to do this with you one on one once uh, once you had your next fight. What I didn't realize it was it was it would be about a year in between fights, but you just had one the other day, and it was a uh, one of the craziest fights I've ever seen. I think in the, in the history of my uh, as I pulled this table over, um, history of watching boxing and MMA and all that sort of stuff. So I mean, just tell us a little bit about about how you feel. You still got some of the cuts and the all that sort of stuff, but it was a fucking battle, man. What a crazy fight that was. Yeah, I feel uh, incredibly uh, proud uh, watching it back. And to see the performance, I'm 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 very happy of uh, the technique I showed in there. As a as a new boxer, as a new fighter, you're uh, constantly worried. I don't know, at least I am, about how you look, how you're throwing your jab, how you're throwing your right hand, and like how you're moving. And so uh, it was uh, one of those performances where I look back at it and I have a lot to improve on, but I have a lot of good stuff to improve on, and they're just like tiny little tweaks that I can do. Uh, I wanted to fight two to three times this year, just like I did last year. Um, we were scheduled to fight uh, May 9th. It was one of the first cards to get scrapped during the whole pandemic. And so, like, since then, we've had, a, like, a great schedule with AEW and a lot of great stuff going on, Stadium Stampede, uh, Fight for the Fallen, and uh, we were just trying to stay ready. And, uh, you know, it really just goes to show you, like, what a great company AEW is to really give me the stuff I need to, like, stay ready for a fight like that. And, I mean, you messaged me after the fight, like, you know, three rounds is just brutal and it all comes down to the training that I'm able to do at home uh, because I'm not on the road so much. Right. I mean, you had legit three five-minute rounds. What was the guy's name that you fought again? Brandon Colton. And and he, I mean, you guys were just literally punching each other in the face. You know, just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And like I said to you, like I could take, I could take maybe two or three punches in the face, but you took a legit ten, like just knockout-style punches. But you just kept coming back. Neither one of you guys were. Uh, we're, uh, we're we're backing down on him too. So did you want to get into such a firefight with a, with a guy like that? It was definitely his fight. That was definitely his strategy. He wanted to keep it on his feet. You could see uh, a couple times I did a good job of hiding behind my punches and, and wrestling with them and getting them up against the cage. But he was practically just sitting on the cage. So he was definitely prepared for my takedowns. And he wanted to keep it on his feet. We were confident because his punches seemed very wild in the video that we saw of him that we, we could keep it on his feet. Uh, that's why I tried to keep my uh, punches real straight, real like low-powered. I wasn't trying to load up a lot. I just wanted, I wanted to touch him as much as possible. And so we didn't want to go three rounds on our feet, but like now that we did, uh, we're very happy with it because like it's almost like I got three fights experience in that in that one fight and so 
we took some damage and watching it back, I ate a lot of punches in the third. In the third round, I knew uh, after getting rocked at the, I, I feel like I won the second, but then I got rocked at the end of the second. And so I knew in the third that I just had to keep going forward and had to keep like, like not selling anything as funny as it is and like keep looking like I'm, I'm unwavered. And, uh, I really feel like my jab saved me in the third. He finally started selling the body punches, which was a strategy of ours. The first time I hit him on the body, he like hit it and it was like, it didn't hurt. It hurt. And so that was like a sign for us. And uh, I feel like that was the main thing in the third that I was trying to like just keep going. And I ate a lot of punches because my whole thing was I'd be back away and then I would come in and not be there when he would throw back. And he was counter punching. He didn't want to get too extended. He didn't want to like he didn't want to get too uh, aggressive with his punches because he knew I would take him down easier if he was throwing hard. So he kept waiting for me to come in. And by the time the third round to come in, I was I was slower and I wasn't uh, moving in offline as much. And so I was eating a lot of punches and it was just one of those things I had to do. He was tired. He was trying to act like he wasn't, but he was tired. And so those punches were less and less. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things uh, where you dig down and say, how bad do you want it? And uh, I have so much on the line. It makes it easy to say I want it more. It almost seems like because it had been a year since you fought, like we kind of discussed that maybe Bellator forgot what your draw was or forgot kind of what your strengths were. I mean, you basically had to win that fight, it seems. I feel like it. I feel like I have to win every fight just because I wanted to validate what we're doing here within a circle with AEW. And so after a year away, I definitely wanted to come back and put a nail in the coffin that I'm not a, a real pro fighter. I train just like everyone else. I put in the work just like anyone else, and I could take the damage just like anyone else, and I proved it. If, you know, people forget about me or think that I'm, you know, not as good as I am, I always take it as motivation. I think you're you're the same way. Like, you can doubt us all you want. We're just going to come back, and we're going to perform at a higher level. Well, and that's what you do. That, that puts you completely back on, on – on, like I said, anybody that, that quote-unquote forgot about what you can do, because like I said, like that – uh, the, the fact that you were able to take those punches to the face because there was a lot of MMA fighters like Brock Lesnar, one of the pe people would say that he can't take a punch to the face. And, you know, Tyson would always say everyone's got a plan until they take a punch to the face. And it's like, I think that would kind of up your value if they could see that, like, oh, my gosh, this guy can really get out there and throw hands. Yeah, I really, I really, I really think it shows, like, who wants to be in there and who doesn't. Uh, at the end of the second round... That was my first time to be in the second round, and I kind of wanted to give my corner like a little heads up, like I'm good, I feel good. I you, you can see it. There's pictures of me. I'm smiling at him in the round, just kind of like grinning at him through the mouthpiece, like yeah, we're in this, you know. Let's right. let's go get dirty, and uh, you know it's cool to have that connection with your coaches, and then when you're in a battle like that, and they'll they'll be the first to tell you that like reacting once you're punched is like the biggest thing like you got to almost act like it didn't happen almost mm -hmm. like a like a like a pitcher in major league baseball like they just gave up a hit you just got to move on to the next one or for a quarterback you just threw an interception you got to have a short memory and you don't want to sell it too much is because you got to beat your opponent but you also got to beat the judges in combat right, right. and so like, you kind of have to like keep moving and like have your feet footwork keep moving off of that and that's one of the critiques for brock i'm not gonna say it but that's one of his critiques I'm just using that as an example yeah. because he's the one guy that I know exactly. know, besides you that does this. And, like, everything does change. And I'll be the first to say it. Like, man, that was my first time to go three rounds, and I got punched, like, on the very, you know, five seconds in there. Mm -hmm. I got I got hit hard. And everything changes with your mechanics, with your footwork, with the way you bounce in there once you get hit once. And then you slowly adapt and you get back to your training. And, uh Dude, I got the best coaches in the world. Rob Rafford, Josh Rafferty. They're they're really had me prepared on a high level. You know, and like you mentioned, for, to be like in a, a basically a fifteen minute fight with breaks, I don't even know what kind of cardio you could train for that. I mean, it seems like you would blow up huge. That's a long fight. Like most fights, you know, even a pull apart in wrestling goes thirty seconds and you're blown up. But it, it you know, that's a three five minute rounds. Seems like it would be hard to, to really do out there. It, 
<laughs> it's definitely funny. I definitely get more tired doing a pull apart in pro wrestling <laughs> than I do a professional MMA fight. It's one of those things where like we we do sprints. We do a lot of sprints because like they say like the the time in between really helps your recovery. Mm -hmm. So you do like three sprints and then you'll do like two doubles on top of it with a short amount of time and that helps your recovery, works on the in-between rounds. Um, and then you have to simulate like just being on your feet and bouncing that much. So you do a lot of running every other day on top of the on the top of the sprints. That's why I get so skinny. Uh, I like uh, you know yeah, my right, first right. fight I weighed two thirty nine. This fight I weighed two fifty three. So we're getting a little bit better at keeping the weight on during camp because it, it's it's grueling. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I told you that you know I needed to be in better shape. If I fight better people, I need to be in better shape because. You know, I can't take this type of damage right. every time. You mentioned that you got to not just beat the opponent, but you got to, you know, impress the judges. And it goes to the limit, and you win by split decision. What, what are you feeling there? Because, I mean, it looked to me like it could have gone either way, and it was so close either way. But it seems like it was very much a tie in a lot of ways. You, you deserve to win because you're that much better. But I'm sure when you're in there... What are you thinking? Like, did you think you're going to win? Did you think you don't know? Really, honestly, like when I was in there after um, the final bell rang, you see me, I look very like relieved that it's over. But like in my head, I knew that I had left everything out there. Right. Like I had put everything out there to try and win. I didn't feel like I thought, I thought I was worried about the match after they came back and he, they announced him first when they said that he had won the first the first judge scored him 29-28. Right. I thought they were going to do me the second and then him the third. And so, like, in my head, I was trying not to sell it. Mm -hmm. um, and so once the third judge came back and said that I had won and you see my hands just go up in the air, that was such a real reaction for me because, honestly, it was a great fight and it could have been very close. He had the more damage done in the second, which is what they look for. He was closer to a finish. There were times in the third I had him wounded. Oh, yeah. But I got too close and I started wrestling. If I could have stayed away, maybe I could have showcased that. But I definitely wounded him with those body shots at the end of the third. And so it was one of those things, like who hit each other more, who hit each other more frequently. And uh, very cool to go through that whole process. Yeah. Just like experience-wise and just like mental toughness-wise. It's it's never over until it's over. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, even when you get rocked and you know i had buddies message me saying that punch would have knocked out a horse and i was like well i got horse teeth so <laughs> i ate it <laughs> i was laughing when uh, i didn't know that your nickname was rock rock hard <laughs> yeah. so when they said rock hard you put your hands on i'm like no shit man he thought he won but he didn't win i'm like oh wait that's his nickname now <laughs> so so i guess the question would be like now what's the overall end game for you in bellator you, you, now can you fight again two or three times a year do they have a championship there or what's what, what do you want to accomplish there you know i think it's it's a very cool opportunity uh for me um mma like pro wrestling is an industry where it's it's really becoming very popular it's almost peaking almost it's almost at its highest popularity it's like you know if you're a high level mma fighter high level professional wrestler you're almost a household name across the world and so really the end game for me to is to like one help the other it's always been like that i feel like it's my opportunity i've been like amateur wrestling since i was five years old so it like really makes sense for me just to continue on this training and like try to have one help the other and like do things that not a lot of people have done in either sport and i think it's very cool Yes, there is a championship for it. The heavyweight champion for Bellator, his name is Ryan Bader. He was a two-time champ. He was a 205 champ and the heavyweight champ. Um, uh, based on my coach's discussions after the fight, you know, I think I'm still about six months to a year away before I can, uh, you know, really step in there with some of Bellator's finest and like, protect myself and, and come away uh, still being able to remember my fifth birthday. Uh, but like it's exciting it really is and um, I'm just glad to have the opportunity and I'm gonna like you know just take it in increments I'll have another fight and uh, it'll be a little bit better than this guy and we'll just keep improving and um, 
I think the the coolest part of it is is like whatever that happens with MMA is you've already seen it uh, that we we will use it with AEW. Mm -hmm. We will use it in pro wrestling. We use the knee. Uh, we use all the background to like to have these characters that seem more fresh, seem more real, and it's uh, really cool to have that kind of like real storyline um, add in to what right. we do here. Yeah, they kept calling you a two sport athlete on the on the fight during the fight which i thought was cool and somebody asked me a question he said like why would why would jake want to do that he's, he's making a good contract in aw and it's like i know the answer why but 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 if he was here what would you say to him why do you want to go through what you went through the other night to to be a, an mma fighter well uh when i when i started uh my journey into mma I was a ex-professional wrestler from the WWE who had no prior job experience with anything else. And so for me, it was, there wasn't really much of a choice. It was my opportunity to elevate myself. It was my opportunity to use the last 10 years that I spent of my life on TV away from my family in the same way that they used me. Uh, one of the best pieces of advice I got from someone at WWE was from Dutch Mantel, and he said, you have to use them the same way they used you. And this was my way of using my exposure on TV to like already have a name to go into another profession and to give me leverage. And like, honestly, if I didn't go into MMA, would I be in the inner circle right now? Mm -hmm. would, I, would I be signed with AEW right now? I don't know. Right. It really, to me, it changed my life, and I put me on a path to be next to Chris Jericho, to be in the inner circle, and to be doing the special things that we're doing. It's it, it's cool. It's a group dynamic, and then like you take one of those little pieces out, you don't know how it's going to change. Um, so I don't think I could have changed anything to mm -hmm. to get where I want. I think I needed every little bit of hard work and getting my butt kicked to have this success. I think at the time when we, when we discussed having you come in, you, I think you were maybe one and know, mm -hmm. maybe two and yeah. but it was very early on. But yeah. I was like, I was thinking like, you are right about that because that made you, that give you an extra shade. Yeah. What's different about Jack Swagger now, you know, before you were Jake Hager here? Well, now Jack Swagger is a legit MMA undefeated fighter. He's one and know, but that's still one and know. So I think that did give you an extra dimension of what you could sell yourself as. Yeah. I think with anybody, and like I, I look at all of us as like brands and entrepreneurs, like we have to have our little thing. And it was just a way for me to highlight my brand, a way for me to grow it. And it's really cool that now it's being highlighted so much because, you know, you've been in the system where past companies would want to not highlight certain talent, they would want to keep their thumbs on them because they think they would have to pay them more, whatever the reason was. Whereas, like, it just seems like where it makes sense if a talent gets bigger, then the whole company mm. gets bigger. And so why, why put your thumb on anybody? And so it, it's so refreshing just to have the opportunity. So, like, for that fact alone, I'll do it because I can. Let's talk about WWE. You mentioned it a few times, and obviously that's where we met. And it's funny, too. I had Miro on a couple of weeks ago. It's not even a question. It's a statement. Like, how do you... It's like Lance Archer as well. How do you fuck up tall, good-looking, legit fighter who can work and can talk? And, you know, like, how does that happen in WWE? Tell us about kind of your experience there and why you ended up leaving. Like, what was it that made you decide to get out of there? Yeah, you know, it, it was a very eye-opening experience for me. I signed uh, with the WWE when I was 24. I debuted on television when I was 26, so... Very Were great. you in the early FCW days? Or? Yep. Gotcha. I was uh, the first uh, Florida champion. Um, I was the longest Florida champion. Steve Kern, Dusty, Tom Pritchard were probably like one of my greatest coaches. I had the opportunity, though. I was at Deep South for six months. I was at OVW for six months under Al Snow and Danny Davis, and then they went to FCW. When I first debuted on television, I feel like I had a lot of the office behind me. Jim Ross, of course, you know, Jerry Briscoe, big supporters of me, why I got signed there. And then just slowly as that went on, there's like just certain battles, I feel like, that went on that as a 26-year-old young professional, um, I didn't handle correctly. Definitely times where I can look at it and said, hey, you need to stand up for yourself. And I didn't do it. And, you know, those are things that you learn and you go throughout life. And you hope, like, I don't want to do that again. 
honestly, I look back at my career very thankful, like very honestly, like, you know, a lot of bullshit we had to put up with to do it. Uh, I'm thankful for the career because it led me to all these opportunities I have. So I won't look back and bitter because that just takes too much energy. Well, yeah, 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 I agree. Uh, but like, there just seems like there's certain people there that wanted to keep their thumbs on certain people and then certain people were like always green-lighted to like do whatever they wanted. But it's interesting to me though because, it, and we can talk about this, was, was the idea was right after WrestleMania, I can't remember which one it was, the one where I wrestled Edge, was that I would beat Edge at WrestleMania yeah. and then he would beat me the next week on TV or whatever it was, but we showed up in Vegas and Vince calls me in his office and he says, we're changing, I'm changing my mind. I want to put it on Jack Swagger. And I was like, that's cool. And, and, and But my point was there was a, a point in there where Vince wanted you to be the champion. So, um, and, and you did beat me for the championship that night. So t- tell us about how you found out about that, um, about the, that you were going to be the world champion. Did you have any inclination that that was going to happen that day? I had a little inclination, but I had no idea what was going to happen. Um, the night before, I had teased it on Raw where I, I would hit, like I almost hit Cena with the briefcase. I snuck up on him, and then we had one of his brilliant promo segments later come find out uh he he refused to do the job for me for the world championship but mm. we will talk about that so um so, call jericho instead <laughs> <laughs> uh the most unselfish top man in the business so i get a call uh that was in phoenix i get a call that night saying hey come to vegas uh catalina and i were already planning on coming there to kind of celebrate vegas and uh whatnot and so we're like cool uh we get to the building of course i get there like 30 minutes early than i'm supposed to so i'm like waiting out in the hallway and then like i see johnny go in the office i feel like here you come feel like edge comes and i'm like okay this is my turn i'll come in right behind you guys and then the door shuts (laughs) just like you would imagine and then the back opens and johnny pieces out i was like you know just give it a couple minutes and then out in the hallway you could see you know the steam rolling out from the door and all the thunder and I'm, i'm i'm kidding i'm kidding it was about five minutes out there and who knows you guys were probably just all in there laughing and joking like hey this rookie's out here sweating his ass off And then I go in there and like, honestly, Chris, this is why, like, I always look to you as like someone that I could trust that someone that actually cared is because when we sat in there and it was laid out what was going to happen, you know, uh, you turned to me and very stoically, you told me you better not this up and you're dead serious and you were very sincere with it. And it was one of those things that I always, it always reminded me of my best wrestling coach like he would always yell at us he would always kick our ass and he was like guys if i'm not yelling at you i don't care Mm -hmm. and so immediately once you said that i looked at you like i already looked at you very fondly like we were you know friends yeah had a good relationship but like from that moment on i you know I, i looked up to you and it was it was something cool that i like i knew that i could almost trust you like be like hey i'm not sure what to do and i could come to you this and we can and we can make it right and it was one of those moments in my career that, you know, I will always, always remember. Yeah, I remember it, too, because and the reason why I said don't fuck it up was I remember thinking, like, like obviously, like I said, what's not to to like as far as potential for this Jack Swagger guy? I was just saying it more from that old school mentality where it's kind of like you know, I, got, I got to be kind of mean to him before I put him over just so he knows that, you know, how important this is and how serious it is. But. Yeah, that was not said out of like maliciousness. It was said out of like, this is the f- big leagues yeah. now, man. You know, and I remember I did. I have a match with Edge. I had a promo, and Edge speared me. Yeah, and then you came down with the briefcase. And then I hit Edge as he was doing his little glory walk away. <laughs> and then we had uh, Mike Kyoto in the ring. It was just fitting. And uh, did, did I smack you again with it? Or no? I don't think I did. I think you just sold up from the spear. Yeah, and what yeah. I remember was I had an idea years earlier when I was supposed to do something with Goldberg where I wanted him to spear me, and I'd have dress shoes on, and I would pull my dress shoe off so it's kind of above my heel. And when he speared me, I'd kick my heel out, and the shoe would fly off. 
And it never got to that point. So with you, I said, because it was a power bomb, right? Yeah, the gut wrench. So when I flipped you up, I kicked my shoe off and it went right into the Las Vegas crowd. So somebody <laughs> at home, if you're listening, you've got my shoe <laughs> in Vegas. It's probably at a pawn shop there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about that. Once you won the title, what did you go off and do afterwards? Like, did they were you in a top program? Or was it was one of those things where you had the title, but you didn't really. You weren't really in the main event, or how did that work? It was um, it was it was different. They had a couple ideas. Like um, I know we went on tour, and you, me, and Edge were doing triple threats right, like overseas. And, and then like it was when that volcano erupted in Iceland, and we all got like kind of stranded over there. And then when we got back, um, it seemed like all the storylines changed. I first went with uh, Big Show, I feel like, and then I went with Randy, um, and so. I, I thought it was fine. I know uh, looking back, I needed to uh, to do a lot more as champion. It's one of those things where it was a learning curve. Everyone, you know, kind of seems that championship run as short. But to me, I look at it as one of those things. It's like my name is on the list with you know Absolutely. some of the greatest so you're not going to take that away from me it's funny i remember i, I was talking about the europe tricks that's when i was going through the we did the three ways and they were good but it was it the one night like in germany or something where people just want to see the dancing <laughs> do not want to see the slamming and the running and the wrestling. Yeah, right. just show me the dancing because i remember they're just super f- quiet like maybe in switzerland or something like that why aren't they dancing why aren't they dancing <laughs> And there was some point where I think we talked about this before, where it was you, me, and Edge. We did a triple down, and then uh, Bret Hart is counting, counting, doing the ten count. He's the guest ref. Yeah, and you just turned to me like as you're selling next to me and said, "Hey, so you want to be a, a wrestler, huh, kid?" <laughs> <laughs> so were you actually on that little van that we had to take to get from from Switzerland to like Madrid or something along those lines? Yeah, we drove from Switzerland to Barcelona, right? right? And it was this small van for like eight people, and we had what 17, 15 people in there. Kane was sleeping. Like you're in it, Kane's in yeah. it, Harry Smith is in it, sleeping in the aisleway. And what happened was because it was it was like basic. I remember we took a bus from Zurich to Geneva or vice versa, and then we had to switch buses. And I remember I got off the bus, and the bus we had pulled up to was like a smaller one. And I was like, I was talking to Glenn, I was like, holy shit, how can we be in that bus? He goes, That's not our bus. He points to an even smaller one. That's our bus. <laughs> Classic major league moment. Yeah, no food, no, yeah. nothing nothing on it. And it was really slow. Remember that? Yeah. Because we remember Johnny Ace had organized hotel rooms for us like in Madrid. Ugh. And we were supposed to get there. And we, we didn't get there till like 10 minutes before we were supposed to take off. It was literally one of the grueling, most grueling 25 hours of my life. Yeah. And we had these big buses, we had lots of space on them, but we couldn't drive them because the drivers had reached their hours for driving, right? And they were like, okay, well, why don't the new drivers drive the big buses, you know? And it was just like one of those things where you just, I remember when we got to Barcelona and we finally got to board, they chartered a whole plane for us to get back in time for Monday Night Raw. And I could just remember like everybody like running on the plane and just like crashing out because it was, it was yeah. such an experience. Well, and just to what Jake was saying was that there was a, a, a volcano that shot ash into the air. So most of Europe was all shut down. And, and the raw guys were in Ireland. So they couldn't get out of Ireland because Ireland is an island. So there was no ferries running and no planes. So then the SmackDown guys, which for us, had to make it out in time. But we couldn't fly from, from Switzerland. So we, we had, had to, to drive to Spain. Yeah. So when we got there, I remember like the like the ash was coming. You guys like if you guys aren't wheels up by like you know ten, <laughs> and we were literally I remember running like OJ Simpson through the airport, leaping over people that were sleeping on the floor because there was nowhere to go, and getting on the plane like closing the door and like leaving before everyone's even sitting down to be wheels up before we uh, got stuck in the ash. I always look at it as like irony because I was world heavyweight champion at the time and I was making more money per show. So, of course, the shows get canceled <laughs> during that time. I was like, no, three more shows. I was mad, too, because me and Morrison were supposed to go snowboarding in the Alps that, the next day. Oh, wow. <laughs> so talk about um, your experience with, with Dutch Mantel, because that was kind of the last run that you had there from what I remember. Yeah. And obviously, Dutch is a very smart guy 
to the business. So what was it like being with him? How did they put you together? I'll put uh, working with Dutch up there with winning a World Heavyweight Championship. That's great. It, it really was an honor. One of the first nights we worked together, he was like, come on, let's get on the road. And I was like, well, they kind of want us to watch the show. And he was like, you can learn more with me driving five minutes down the road than you can watching this whole show. And I was like, okay, I'll pack my bags. And so it's like kind of like that. I, I got to drive him for two years. We got to work with Cesaro, which is an amazing talent, an amazing tag team wrestler. And that group that we had was really cool how it came together. Dutch is one of those guys to where he has so much knowledge. He like, he almost like doesn't care about how he looks. I feel like, uh, like the first time they put him together, we just happened to be in Nashville. Um, I had just won the elimination chamber. Uh, you were in Randy, Randy beat you. And then I beat Randy. And, uh, the like week after that we're in nashville and that's just where dutch lives and he comes in he has mustard on his shirt <laughs> i'm sorry dutch i think you used the restroom and tr and you left the door open <laughs> uh you know he's he's a class act i love him to death and but it was one of those things we had a we had a, like a little video promo and no one told him to say it he did one promo took some notes from triple h and then on the on the second one, at the end of it, he put We the People on it. And he, no one told him to say it. It wasn't written. And it was just really cool, like, how it felt. And everyone was like, ooh, that's it. And so we did, like, one more. And then we, like, finalized how we wanted We the People. And it just it just stuck. And it was really cool. Every week that we went out there, uh, he would cut a promo. And they would be booing him during the entire promo. But then when we would say We the People... They would all say it with us, and we would come back in the back and be like, oh, my gosh, you said this and this and this, but they still said we the people with us at the end. So it was really cool. Um, I think we knew how big it was getting. I don't think WWE understood how big it was getting. And just one of those things where, like, I feel like today, if, if you wanted to, you could go back to it and it'd be just as lively. What did we the people mean? Like, what was the gimmick that you guys had? So at first... It was. It started off as a heel storyline, and of course, uh, WWE. Uh, you know, there was a lot of facets to it, but they just went with uh, the immigration storyline on it, and it was pretty much kind of like a libertarian political gotcha. thing that was very topical at the time uh, about immigration. And shortly thereafter, our president started talking about building a wall. Uh, he was actually at that WrestleMania where I wrestled Alberto. He was front row for it. Uh, and so who knows? Maybe he took some uh, policies from uh, Dutch Mantel. Um, and so it started off as a political thing, and then it kind of ran with it. But really the cool thing with it was it was like it took over. It was taken over by uh, the audience. The, the wrestling fans around the world really took it from a political thing and made it something it was like the audience if you were there that day and you got to stay we the people with them it was theirs it was no longer ours we were just kind of a mm -hmm. part of it and that's to me is what the best part of pro wrestling is is something organic something like that, that just kind of gets over and then the audience takes it and then it really shows how big of a part they are in our mm -hmm. live events was it just you and dutch or was there some other people in the group too it started off me and Dutch, and we we're doing the singles run. I severed my tendon uh, in a TLC match with Alberto, uh, and then I took some time off. And then when we came back, they had they put Cesaro with oh. us to go into the tag match, and then we went to New Orleans and we wrestled for the tag titles. I think that was in '14, the year after I wrestled Alberto. So, gotcha. yeah. Did you guys win the titles? Did you and Cesaro? We never won the titles. It came down to us and the Usos in a four-way battle, and they won. But it was a very cool moment. I think it was one of the highlights of We The People is, like, it came down. It was a four-way tag match. The Usos uh, stood opposite from us after eliminating the other team, and they did their battle cry, Us, oh, and then me and Star looked at each other. And I swear the entire audience in New Orleans said We The People, and it was <laughs> and loud great. and very proud of it like that was actually my idea for the match and it worked out i love the uh, the t-shirts that you guys have with just a big hand with a, with a <laughs> arm kind of a, a chalk outline yeah and i remember that's what my son he barely watches wrestling he saw that shirt and he's like 
That's the worst shirt I've ever seen. I said, go tell him. He's right over there. Go tell him. Go tell him that you said, no way, Dad. I think uh, I think your son is my uh, harshest critic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw you the other night too, right? Yeah. yeah. So what kind of led to, because I remember we worked, uh, uh, they did a show in Toronto that was kind of like a, a network pay-per-view. And I remember this because Triple H worked with Ambrose. I can't remember exactly. I think remember he just beat him for no apparent reason. Typical. But I remember you and I worked each other. And it was like a last minute thing. It was somebody was subbed in or somebody was, remember that? Yeah. And it was like, it, it was only probably 2017 or 16 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Typical hard hitting fun match. But then shortly after that, I think you you left the company or where did you like get, get let go or how did that all go down? So in 2017, uh, the company uh, had an option uh, in my contract where they only had the option to pick it up and uh, pay me at the same price as the previous. Like I, I was finishing up my second five-year contract with them. And so uh, I was I was a little fed up. And so I, I, I grew, I finally grew some balls and stood up for myself and said, no, we're going to renegotiate now. And so this was like December of 16. And then by like, uh, you know, February of 17, I finally got some straight answers out of them. That's just how it works. And the, what they offered me uh, was just ridiculous. It was, you know, it was it was insulting. And, like, I knew that's where I stood with them. Yeah. And so it was kind of not as insulting as it was, like, okay, this is this is clear to me. And so I was off. Um, I had, like a, like, a skin and rash like all over my body. So I, I was at home anyways, which worked out well. I could talk with my wife and we could like figure out what we wanted to do because honestly, you know, to substitute that type of income, it, it's very scary, especially mm-hmm. for a young professional with no other experience besides wrestling on TV. And so that always kept us like close to the Fed. But that time they, what they offered us, we didn't even make a counter. It was it was like one of those things where like okay, um, I just immediately asked for my release, and like two days later they gave it to me. I was really surprised actually that they they gave it to me. I think at the time I was still kind of in good standing with Vince uh, and the higher ups to where they were just like let's let him go, mm-hmm. and so that was March of seventeen um, that they finally granted me my release right before WrestleMania, and I was on the Indies for about. A year and a half. How was that for you transitioning from WWE to the Indies? Because you had never been in Indies. Never, never before. been on the Indies before. So, like, a part of it was very refreshing to me to see, like, that level and that love of pro wrestling. And then at times it was, it was, it was tough because, you know, you're used to television shows and big crowds. And so when you go in the Indies, it's not always that. And it really was something that kept me going, um, mainly because I had no choice. Like, I had to provide for my family. I had to pay for my mortgage. had to pay for my kids' private school. And so, like, I had no choice. And it really made joining MMA and going down that road a lot easier because, like, I didn't want to keep doing this. Um, Nothing against the indies, but, like... uh, It's tough. It's a tough grind. It's tough. Uh, At the end of that year, I had, like, an entire month of shows canceled. And so when you're planning on that income and that gets canceled, you're really scrambling. And, uh, you know, hats off to the guys that make their living uh, doing that. Yeah, I mean, um, doing that on the way up is is just natural, right? Yeah. Doing it kind of afterwards would be very – thankfully, I never had to do that. But I always think about that, like, oh, my gosh, like to, be, to go from one side to the other. And like you said, some guys can do it, and then they make great money, and that's their thing. But you're really kind of just at the mercy of whatever business is, is at at that point in time – you know, there's no guaranteed contract shows, all that other stuff, you know, especially when at one point you were a WWE world champion. That's, and here you are now on the indies. It's two different worlds. I always try to find silver linings in everything. And I look at it from my wrestling journey. I was very fortunate to go right into the best, the biggest company in the world. Right. Like I didn't have to go to the independents. And so like for me to go to the independents after I was there for 12 years, I, it kind of like made sense to me as like, okay, let's do this part. Let's see how you can get better and let's see what we learn from it. It's only going to make you tougher and it's only going to make you a better pro wrestler. And so 
it's one of those things where you can look at it and be like depressed about it or you can look at it and attack it and i think you just have to attack it and then you're going to get through it and get better from it who did you lose the world title to by the way i was gonna ask that before uh to ray i lost oh. the to ray in the singles we it was me cm punk i want to say undertaker and ray and ray won that one and then i got the rematch with ray again and uh he beat me straight up <laughs> how'd you like working with him Oh, man, I, I will put him as one of my um, favorite opponents to wrestle mm. against. You know, watching him uh, work against guys like you, against guys like Eddie, against Kurt Angle. They're some of my favorite matches. So, like, to be in there with, like, Ray and, and wrestle for, like, a title like the World Heavyweight Championship, it's surreal. I remember one time in Mexico, I, I messed up his comeback, and I was, like, so mad at myself. I was like, it's Ray Mysterio, how do you not know what he's going to do? But, you know, when you're in front of a crowd, a lot yeah, of things happen. Things happen. Did yeah. you ever work with Eddie or Kurt? Uh, no, no. You came in a little bit after that? Yep, mm -hmm. and I never met Kurt until um, until afterwards. Gotcha. Yeah. And last WWE question, where did you get the name Jack Swagger? It was just from uh, WWE Creative. I, I It came after I had a meeting with Vince, and um, I was smiling too much, I guess. He's like, see that smile? pisses me off and so I, like i wipe it off immediately being a rookie and he's like no no it's great it's gonna piss him off too so i think something from that smile swagger smile yeah swagger yeah, swagger swagger he came out you know let's talk about how you ended up uh, in aew so i from my end i've told the story before but we we're looking for a big guy when tony wanted me to start a faction and he suggested Anthony Agogo, who's here with us now, great guy. But I, I, I had this before when WWE wanted me to get, you know, a heater, and they always would pitch these little guys. And, like, I would pick the biggest guy I could find. And we had just reconnected because you were training at Dave Batista's place with Josh Rafferty, mm -hmm. who I started training with as well through Dave. I had no idea that you were working with him. We started running into each other. And I'm, that's what reignited because i think i remember even said like you still working like you still wrestling i know you are and so i was kind of suggested that to tony khan i've seen hangers and that was my big thing he's undefeated mma now it's a completely different guy right yeah so how did it go from your side of things very cool i mean honestly i think anybody in the pro wrestling world around 2018 and they're on um was really starting to get the vibe that AEW was going to be a thing. I mean, you, everyone was seeing what you and Kenny were doing with New Japan, and it was only like a matter of time. I forget when that actual announcement was for AEW, but like that was always the goal for me oh, wow. is to like use MMA to like make me a better pro wrestler. Mm -hmm. And what's better than going to the brand new hot promotion? So it worked out really well. I know you were training with uh, Josh, and I, I can't say enough good things about Josh. Yeah, great he, guy. He gives you so much of your time, and uh, especially this last fight, I got you know I was I was kind of a diva a little bit. I know you never see this side of me, Chris, <laughs> but uh, he really really puts up with me and really gets me through it and like talks me down, man, when I'm all worked up about practice or whatever. And it was one of those things where Josh is a big wrestling fan. And, uh, like, he, he understood very well what we were trying to do. So it kind of, like, just happened. And then, man, I still, I still can remember that time. Uh, it was, I think it was right after, the, right after the first fight. We went in there and we sat there and talked. And, like, I had reached out to Cody. I mean, I think everybody in the world was reaching mm -hmm. out to Cody at the time to do it. And uh, you're like, okay, cool. You know, we, and we knew that we were, like, kind of on the same page. Me and you? Yeah, gotcha. yeah, just like, okay, you know, it is what it is. Like, maybe maybe it can work out. And, like, for me, like, I reached out again, and I was still not getting anything. And this was about, like, May. So from Tony, like, right? Yeah, this was, yeah. like, double or nothing time. And so, like, I'm not getting anything. And I think I told you that. And so you, like, reached out, and he was like, yeah, hey, man. He said, like, hey, check back in a couple weeks. And I don't know what changed, but then you came back, like, an hour later, and you're like, no man this is it they they want to go with you with i think it was kind of coaching you and what to say or yeah. something like that too i yeah. think what changed was that the inner circle became a thing okay and that must have been something because i remember it took him a long time this is we're talking about tony khan uh it took him a long time to get back to you 
and I kept kind of subtly nudging him, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah," you know, he was like, "Yeah, sure, sure." Yeah. But something, something switched, and maybe that was it. Maybe, maybe he decided you were the right man for the job. You, uh, you set us up, and I know we had a great phone call with him. And I got off the phone, and I was like, "Holy cow! This is this is a billionaire. This is the, the owner of the company." He was so casual and easy to talk to that you could really feel comfortable telling him, like, "Hey, man, I'm really insecure about whatever," mm. you know, type deal. It was one of those types of conversations, and hopefully, I like to say my winning personality, along with the, you know, <laughs> the endorsement for the inner circle, helped. Uh, but dude, it was so cool how it happened, and immediately, like everybody just kind of started getting to know each other and really vibing, and kind of like, hey, you bring to this table, but I bring this to the table, and of course, I feel like you do a great job of seeing the bigger picture, and like that's all great. Let's do it this way mm -hmm. and make it even better yeah i remember that first night and i want to hear your your memories of it but it was kind of the debut of of, of was the first show so it was the debut of aw and we had a six man me and santana ortiz so i didn't really know uh, just had met them but the idea was that you came out at the end as like a surprise and just kicked the shit out of everybody and uh i remember thinking like people really and they, they really were into it they were super popping for you and excited about it and you you did what, what we asked, just killed them all, and the and the bucks and candy. I think it was sold for you really well. And yeah. what was it like for you that night? Man, you know, I look back at this year with AEW like as as, as the greatest year in my career, mm -hmm. pro wrestling wise. Um, moments like that were really cool. Fourteen thousand people, the debut episode. I was I was nervous as shit, <laughs> and I had the easiest thing to do. All I had to do was run out to the ring without tripping, <laughs> and then slide in the ring and and you know do a couple things. And man, like you look back at some of the uncut footage that they have from that. It's so cool, and the, and the crowd was going so crazy. I think like you had to know that we were onto something that right night. off the bat. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then it was so cool that night because um, we talked about we the people. They all started chanting we the people. That was the second night, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, when you reduced everybody. Well, the first night too, they were chanting oh, okay. it, and then the second night is when you when you completely cut it off, and they haven't said it since. That's that's a great point. Yeah, you know, it's a bad idea from bad creative. Let's move on or something. <laughs> you know what Chris Jericho says goes pretty much, and. Then, it's it's just cool because like we are different characters with AEW, so let's be different. Yeah, and that's what I wanted people to understand because once in a while they still once in a while will chant YTJ. I'm like like I understand you're you're being appreciative, but it, it's pissing me off because th that's a character that's 20 years old, mm -hmm. and it's also if you're an AEW fan, so it's, it's kind of demeaning to our product if you're saying something that was made famous in WWE, and that's why with the we the people thing, I'm like I want this shut off now. I don't want them seeing jack swagger i want them to see this brand new guy which now a year in jack swagger's a memory as is dean ambrose as is you know a lot of those types of characters but it was jake hager is the guy mm -hmm. so that's what we need to make people realize and remember this is a whole new dude here you know what i mean yeah yeah very cool too and again one of the beauties of pro wrestling have how we can suspend disbelief and we can if you do it correctly and with a good storyline you, you can you can just move on to the next one and people are okay with it and right. i i completely understand what you're saying about chanting y2j like don't chant y2j chant demo god because what we're doing right. here is, we've created something yeah. different you know yeah. some of the highlights from this past year i think one of my favorites was you versus moxley in the empty arena match yep. which that was before every match was an empty arena match. It was kind of right at the beginning of that. I think we, our, most of our show was emanating out of Atlanta, and you had guys filmed it here in Jacksonville. But I, I thought that was kind of a real good coming out. Here's that one in the Dustin Rhodes match that you had. We're two, like, this guy, you know, remember him as a character, but I look, he's a great worker, too. Yeah, those were definitely, uh, especially the match with Mox, definitely uh, one of those matches you were glad to get in there and get the dust knocked off and prove that, you know, you still got it. And, you know, you could talk all the trash you want about 2020. It's been a, like a, a crazy year, but I got to wrestle for the AEW championship on my birthday in oh. 2020. So like that was always like super cool to me. Um, 
I think those two matches were like just beginning. Um, we're definitely become hard heading, and I'm still trying to figure out ways to incorporate the MMA into pro wrestling and make it entertaining. Mm -hmm. uh, Mox, that guy just wants to be punched in the face, so he like he's like, "Give me more." No, he's become a like you, and like I said, he's become a completely different character here, and it's cool to see because I feel it's the real guys getting a chance just to be be who you are yeah you know think about all the stuff that you've been involved in this year every every night you're doing something sometimes it's matches sometimes it's comedy building stories like that's one thing i like like there's always something going on for us here yeah you know and then that's important because that's what establishes what kind of a performer you are you've had a lot more range over the last year than you had in the first 10 years absolutely absolutely it's like you said like um you want to be successful how creative can you be and uh, you definitely have to be open-minded in pro wrestling, and everybody wants to be out there and be the big, tough guy that talks the best trash, but like a lot of the times that's not the most entertaining, and mm -hmm. you can still be very intimidating and be very uh, imposing, but you don't have to be that traditional like tough guy that just m that meme mugs everybody. I really enjoy the the variety that we do here and some of like my favorite matches and just favorite parts. Like one of my favorite parts was after the stadium stampede and we did that promo where we had all the all the shirts for the celebration. That's a very real thing that happens in real life and we made it and we brought it here and I just remember your face at the end of that. You know, you just sold it down. <laughs> Ortiz yelling because yeah. he can't hear. It was just, it was just really cool how like we just had this great match, never been done before, and then we can come together and still be self-deprecating and like make make. You these came out with a poem, <laughs> and that's the thing too. Like, like I, I want to point out, like that was your idea to bring a poem. You wrote it. No one approved it. I didn't even. I think you read it once. I yeah. didn't even remember what you were going to say. Like you, that's you showed that creativity yeah. in doing that, and it was great. Well, and and it was one of the differences that you get here. Like all I had to do was like text you and like, hey, what do you think about this being my gift to the inner circle? And you were like, yeah, great. And so instead of like spending all the time trying to get it approved, I got to spend time writing it and like like actually making it better. And so like you get resources here to make stuff better right and it, it's so refreshing yeah. and like a lot of us are not used to that mm -hmm. yeah i really love to um just as we start to wind down here the way that you looked and also to the way that kenny and hangman made you look in the stadium stampede that was one of the highlights the the, the bar fight and i was fortunate to actually watch it you know and be there kind of behind the scenes and it was just such a great piece of work. It rivals any fight scene that you'd see, not just in wrestling, but in a movie. Man, thank you for that. And uh, I remember you coming in, like, like we really did that with one take. Each each part was broken down, but we did it with one take, and it was really cool. Like we came in, and you would come in, like, man, that was intense. So it would give us that like added, like you know, like reaffirmation that we were like onto something. Really impressed with Hangman's athleticism, like uh, feeling him in there, the way he was flipping off the tables and every and the flipping off the bars. It w it was scaring me to death, but uh, like it just came across like and like that's one of the things you have to love about pro wrestling. I keep saying that is, but like instead of just doing a fight, like he's a cowboy, you know. I'm a big bruiser. Why not sit down at the bar first and try to have that traditional movie scene and make it you know a little bit better and it's just like having that opportunity having that freedom to add that in there really makes the stadium stampede that much better and uh could not be more proud of it that's definitely far and away the highlight of my year put a bunch of uh was it baby oil or some kind of grease on the bar top so that he would slide and he still didn't slide so he just grabbed and said it <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and then you look at the stuff uh, like on the field with Sammy doing the 100 yards of, mm -hmm. of the Northern Lights, uh, you hitting the mascot with the elbow and uh, like almost falling into the goalpost. And then <laughs> Aubrey <laughs> and you like going like going into the night. tent, like just the little things were done so well with that. It, it's really cool. And I don't want to sit here and toot our own horns the whole time, but very proud of that match. Yeah. I'm very proud of all the stuff we've done. Like I said, it's been it's been it's been a great year with just like you said, being creative. But but it, it, I like the look of us as inner circle. I like the stuff that we bring to the table, the mix of guys, 
now we're starting you know this this whole thing with with what we're going to do with MJF and that brings some extra elements to it so it's just been a lot of fun to like not have to worry and once again, like you said, not bagging on WWE, but they'll put a, a team together and they last for two weeks or a month or whatever, and then suddenly somebody turns on the other guy or what. It's it's it, we've always been great at planning things for a very long time, you know. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and like that way, it's easier to like put passion into it. And like when we first started the inner circle, um, like you said, you had just met Santana and Ortiz. Mm. Had you I, ever met them before? I'd never met them before. I met Sammy briefly uh, beforehand at Lucha Underground. And so like throughout the course of the year, you can look at our relationship and you can see how we gelled. Mm -hmm. uh, we have really like come together. Like we're, we're like, we're close friends. Yeah, friends, yeah. Yeah, like that we could talk about our families with. And, and that's one of the best parts about not having to rush it is uh like we don't even know what it is yet right, you know it right. could be something really good but if you rush it it's awesome you know it's not that good and that's one of the most disheartening things about uh pro wrestling is when a storyline is canceled or something because you are out there putting your heart on, into it and trying to get it over and trying to get the fans to like it and then a lot of times with the wwe you don't even get a real reason of why it ended and you know it's it's yeah. hard to go to work like that. Well, like I say, it's always it's hard to paint a picture of something if you don't know what the picture is. You know, yeah. paint a picture of a of a horse. Yeah. Okay, then you can make the horse green and blue, and you yeah. can make the horse eat grass or yeah. make the horse flying on a plane. But at least you know what you're supposed to be getting at. Yeah, and and that never really happened before. So last couple of questions: What's your favorite match that you've ever had? Uh, anything with Chris Jericho. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, it's funny, uh, Christian gets really mad at me if I don't say that he's my favorite opponent. <laughs> <laughs> so Christian is my favorite opponent, yeah. but mainly because he would sing, what was that um, Canadian singer? He just passed away, uh, Battle of uh, the Old Fitzgerald. Uh, oh, Gordon Lightfoot. Yes, yes, yes. He would sing Gordon Lightfoot to me in the <laughs> ring. Yeah. Did you work with him a lot as a baby face and he was a heel or vice versa? Yeah, I was the heel and, he, and he was he was the baby face. Uh, ECW and then right. a, little, a little bit with SmackDown. I was very fortunate when I got to ECW. I was just brand new on t a debut. And I remember Dean Malenko like pulling me aside and like, hey, you got to do better of like protecting yourself. And like, I still didn't even know what that meant. Mm -hmm. And so I was lucky. I got to work with Matt Hardy, got to work with Fit Finley, and I got to work with Christian a lot there in ECW who were like unselfish guys that like knew how to do it and how to help me protect myself before I, even I did. And that's meaning make sure you're not bumping every five seconds for every move in the book and that sort of thing. Yeah, right? make sure someone's not gorilla pressing you for no right, reason. Right, right, right. Yeah. Last question. Tell us about the uh, the GOAT at the celebration for Le Champion in Chicago. <laughs> man so many so many good memories <laughs> from that um first of all I, I love that you know i was the one that got to give you the jerigoat <laughs> the jerigoat the jerigoat yeah everyone was giving me presents because i just won the yeah. title or whatever it was and so they had this little like little makeshift pin set up backstage and this goat was a star it was kind of used to the sounds but like once the people started filling in it got very shaky because of the crowd and everything so I'm sitting there with a bucket of carrots. I'm literally a bucket of carrots. And like, you're walking through the curtain and I'm just like shoveling carrots in this thing's mouth to this very nice goat's mouth. It's like treats? Yeah, it's treats, like trying to keep it calm and just try to keep it still. And it's kind of like walking around a little bit, but then I would give it to it. And so then I was like, I'm not going to be able to like walk this thing out. It's just going to see me tugging it out yeah. and it's going to look horrible. So I got the great idea. I was like, I'm just gonna man up. I'm just gonna bear hug this thing. And because like, I know you guys were waiting on me to come out, it was it was hard to hear, but at the same time, I'm like looking at the goat. And then by the time it was time, we were already like 10 seconds behind, I just had to grab the goat and just pick it up and walk out with it. <laughs> <laughs> and you know me, I'm uh, always the great with timing anyway. So I had to deliver my line the best I could. <laughs> I remember where the line was. Uh, it's uh, it was just something oh, about yeah. Chris Jericho. It's Jericho. His, yeah. name Chris, his name is Chris Jericho. I remember yeah. Yeah, we were waiting for you, and that poor thing. I think we, the idea was 
you know, like W.C. Fields said, never work with animals and children. He was supposed to walk across the, the whole arena, but I think he got about four steps. And then I think you basically just had to leave him there and come in the ring. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I really did. It, it, it was shaking, even though like the trainer was right there with it and the trainer was actually holding the leash. It was it just wouldn't go any further, and I thought it was gonna give me the old Billy Goat gruff, you know. <laughs> what if it would have headbutted my butt or something, yeah. uh, <laughs> ripped my pants, or took a bite out of my pants or something? <laughs> just sitting there chewing on it like garbage. Um, well, dude, it's it's uh, it's great to have you here in the inner circle. I'm excited for uh, for uh, all the stuff we're gonna do, and to see you beat the shit out of some more guys in uh, Bellator as well. Oh yeah, thanks for having me, guys. All right.